0: Thank you, team. Can we give them a big round of applause again? Thank you. Please take your seats. Before I start, can I just ask if we will be sharing communion at the end of the service? And so, if anyone hasn't received a communion pack as you came in this morning, would you just raise your hand and we'll make sure that you get a communion pack in your hand? Just someone at the back there. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. (laughs) Good morning to everyone on the live stream as well. Blessings to you from wherever you're watching. How are you all doing? Good? Excellent. It's exciting. We live in exciting times. And it's wonderful to see Tim. Little Tim is here today in the church. (laughs) Hi, Tim. How are you? You and Emily and the boys. My goodness, see how big they've become. I remember when you were like this, not Tim, the little boys, I mean. <laughs> Tim was never little, eh? he was born like that, I think. <laughs> so, after a very long and boring sermon, the parishioners were sort of filing out of church, saying nothing to the preacher. And towards the end of this line, there was this thoughtful person who always, always commented on the sermons. Pastor. Today your sermon reminded me of the peace and love of God. The pastor was thrilled, because no one has ever said anything like that about my preaching, you know, he said. Tell me why. Well, it reminded me of the peace of God, because it passed all understanding. And the love of God, because it endured forever. This is not about our pastor, I promise. Well, there was a pastor who was leaving his area, and he was saying farewell to his congregation at the church, at the church doors for the last time, and he shook hands of everyone, and there was this particular elderly woman as she walked out, and she said, your successor won't be as good as you, you know. Nonsense, said the pastor in a flattered tone. No, really, said the old lady, I've been here under five different ministers, and each new one has been worse than the last. <laughs> Pastor Ben's not around, that's why I'm able to talk about these things. <laughs> so. He's watching online, but hopefully he'll forgive me. <laughs> a lot of things cause worry and anxiety nowadays. And, you know, I have, um, at work, a couple of people have been going through some significantly traumatic experiences in their personal lives. And, and I just see the pain and angst of what they're going through. You just have to turn on your TV and the stuff going on with Ukraine and all those heartbreaking images come through. You hear stories of what families are going through, the upheaval and the, and the separation and the loss of so much with war. The death of people who we never expected to die so young. Shane Warren and then the minister, um, what was the name? Um, Kimberly, Kimberly Hitchens, yes, Kimberly Hitchens. Both died at the age of 52. I told my wife, thank God I'm 53. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, just, just things that shocked us. And, and I was just watching on the news yesterday. So lots of these, uh, these uh, uh, sports persons who are now sort of commentating and doing other things now, sort of in their mid 50s, they're all running to get checkups, they're all worried. If it could happen to people like that, you know, maybe I, I am at risk for some reason, so I need to check myself out. So a lot of, a lot of angst, a lot of worry, a lot of anxiety, mortality suddenly seeming that, like, you know, won't live forever because of things that are happening. So when we are surrounded by people like that, and everywhere we go in our places of work or places we, people we talk to, we see that happening. What do you, as a child of God, have to offer them? What can you do? You know, we've been doing this amazing series, uh, looking at the life of a disciple and and the things that, that Jesus talked about when he did the Lord's Prayer. And if you haven't been listening to them, please go back to the podcasts. Pastor Ben is an amazing teacher. And one of the things we looked at was the prayer in in the Lord's Prayer. He talks about, Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And how we as believers are the outworking of that very prayer we pray. That we will be the ones who carry the kingdom of God into where we live. That what God's will is for the earth will be what we can carry into our places of work among the people we work with that we can demonstrate what the kingdom of God is like, what the principles of living as a Christian are like in our places of work. We are placed where we are to be channels and spheres of influence so that the kingdom of God and his will will advance in those areas. Can we go to slide, the first slide, please? Please. I haven't seen what they look like, so I'm gonna look at it. Oh, good, nice. So my question to you today is, what do you have to offer? What do you have to offer? And I want to suggest to you that there is something powerful, something powerful in our hands that can offer hope to the world. And that hope comes from this incredible person Of Jesus next slide please what we do with this incredible life-giving message of hope embodied in Jesus will determine what will happen in the lives of many people around us and how they will cope with what they are going through and you can be an integral part of that now if you're someone who's been coming to church for a while, you've been hearing these messages, you have, a, you have a relationship with Jesus, this is something we know about and I'm just reminding you of something you already know. But I want to challenge you and inspire you that maybe this is something we need to create into a part of our lives that it becomes a habit for us. I want to remind and challenge you about what you are doing and what you know of this life-changing message. If you are new to all of this, if this is the first time you are coming to church or you haven't been coming to church very long, what I want you to get or grab a hold of is that you will get an understanding of all, everything that is offered to you through this life-transforming message of Jesus and the relationship with him that can create a space of abundance in your life, a life that is very different to anything you have experienced so far. My question to you, are we ashamed? Are we ashamed of the message God asks us to speak out to those around us? Last week, we had the opportunity to go to Melbourne, and for the very first time, I went to the MCG with my family, and we watched this AFL match. Richmond versus Carlton. Is there anyone who supports Richmond in this hall? Wow. Incredible. Not a single Richmond supporter other than me. Well, I, I'll tell you. Anyone who supports Carlton? Yeah. Well, well, unfortunately, Carlton won that match, but we won't talk much about that. Well, it was, I tell you, a spectacle. 72,000 fans packed into a stadium, and they were roaring their hearts out. We happened to get seats that were sort of in a weird place because it was right between where the Carlton supporters ended and where the Richmond supporters began. So I tell you, it was crazy loud. (laughs) Both sides giving it to each other. And every time a goal was scored, my goodness, it was mayhem. But it was such a spectacle, and people proudly wore their colors. You had the Richmond hats and the Richmond scarves and people who colored their hair and wore all kinds of weird costumes. And It was just incredible, and I thought, my goodness, I know this is an analogy we talk about often, but to be up there and personal and to see it happen in front of your eyes, you think these guys are serious about their teams that they support, and they are not ashamed to tell anyone around. So I thought, okay, after the match is over, Richmond have lost, everyone's walking out, the Richmond supporters are not, you know, they have their heads sort of bowed, the Carlton guys are giving them lots of stick for the fact that they had lost and all that is going on. And then we're walking along the street and all these guys are walking along and I thought, okay, maybe some of these Richmond supporters will take off their scarves and put them in their bags or something like that. But no, even though they had lost, they still walked around proudly with their scarves on, their hats on, their everything that showed that they were still a Richmond supporter, despite the fact that they had lost, unashamed, unashamed. Yeah? What about us? Shall we go to the next slide, please? Oh, this is slide two, let's go to the next one. Thanks. (laughs) The next one, yes. This is an incredible passage, just two verses from Romans chapter 1. And Paul writes this incredible verse that is arguably one of the most important verses in Christianity. They are the essence of who we are as Christians. And this particular verse, particularly the last part, was actually pivotal in heralding the Protestant Reformation because it gripped the heart of Martin Luther, Shall we read it together? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. Amen? Amen. What an incredible passage. Paul is writing this to the Roman church, which he's about to go and visit. A church he had never visited before. A church he had no hand in setting up. But he's letting them know of his intentions. I'm coming to you, but I want you to know, first of all, that I am not ashamed of the gospel. In his time, as in ours, there are many who are ashamed of the gospel, many who are disengaged, many who maybe do not even know of this gospel. But even among believers, you know, there are many who tend to disengage, many who are ashamed, and who try to turn the gospel around and make it acceptable. But why? Why is it that people find it hard to accept this gospel that we talk about? Maybe because it is not sophisticated intellectually, Right, You remember when Paul was writing to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 1, 22 to 23, he says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Today people think it is foolishness. I want you to think about Paul for a second. He had experienced significant resistance in all his missionary journeys. If you remember, he was imprisoned in Philippi. He was chased out of Thessalonica, smuggled out of Damascus and Berea, laughed out of Athens, called a fool in Corinth, declared a blasphemer and a lawbreaker in Jerusalem, stoned and left for dead in Lystra. He he got a lot of pushback from his message but you know what he endured all of that and still went on and on and on wherever he could to whomever he could still talking about this gospel message that he had why because it was something that had affected him it was something that had transformed his life he had met with this Jesus he was talking about and that Jesus on that road to Damascus had changed the very course of his life In an instant, he a man who was so opposed to the church to a point of trying to catch anyone who called themselves a Christian, throwing them into prison, standing by when they were executed, you know, that kind of a person, to have an encounter with Jesus and then not be the same ever again, but to turn into a person who became a strong, in fact, the strongest advocate for Jesus himself. Isn't that incredible? But this was a man who had experienced had experienced that transforming grace of of Jesus upon his life, and nothing was going to stop him from sharing this with anyone he came across. So if you're Paul, you're about to go to the imperial city of Rome, where the emperor resides, where the royal court is, where all these amazing things are happening, the center of the known world at the time, And you're going there to give them a message. You know what that message is? You're going to say there's this carpenter from Nazareth who says he's the son of God and the savior of the world and that he will save the world by dying helplessly on a cross. That's the message he's going to tell the Romans. Intellectually, it was a message that they would not, would not be able to accept. Currently in our universities, you know, I I was so glad to hear what you were talking about, Emily, with the years 10, 11, and 12. We need to disciple them, strengthen them in their love for the word of God and love for Jesus. Because believe me, get into universities, you are going to be hammered. You are going to be uh, assailed with all kinds of philosophies and people who will laugh and ridicule the fact that you even believe in Jesus. Oh, We have experienced that personally with our son who went to university and the amount of confusion that it caused in him when he was surrounded by people who would not and could not even begin to understand why anyone would believe in Jesus, let alone follow him. But you know what? We do not come with wise words, yeah? We do not come with intellectual words to convince people. We come to them with something called the gospel, which is powerful and which is able to transform lives. So stay with me. We're going to look at this a little bit more. So sometimes people don't want to accept this gospel because, you know what? They look at all the other religions of the world and and all the other religions and things are telling them You know, you need to attain a certain thing before you can come close to God. You need to be of a certain uh, character. You need to be able to empty yourself of your humanness and become one with God. Those are the things that bring you closer into relationship with God. Things you must do, do, do to reach God. But the gospel turns all of that upside down. Because it is not of your own righteousness. It's not of works. It's not anything you can do of yourself this is a radical, radical thing that the gospel tells us. Some people don't want to accept this gospel message because of moral reasons. Because when you accept that message, it's going to change things in your life. It is going to come against things that you have maybe accepted as normal in your life. And those things need to be removed and changed. They need to. It, it will affect the way you think, the things you see, the things you read, the things you do. And some people are not willing to give that up and for some people like in the Western world now you have everything you need why do I need a savior why do I need to hear or listen to this gospel so why could Paul who was faced with very similar resistances of all these things I've talked about why the gospel is resisted he was faced with all of this but why could Paul a man who was an intellectual, a man who was called a teacher of the teachers, who had, who had studied under, under Gamaliel, this amazing teacher, and, and had, was schooled in the things of, of the Jewish law and knew it backwards. A man who was highly intellectual and intelligent. He is willing to stand and die even for this gospel. And he says so gloriously, I am not ashamed. Shall we go to the next slide, please? So why does he say, I am not ashamed? I think there are three reasons, and we will look at those three reasons. One is the promise of the gospel. What does the word gospel mean? We know it means good news. Yeah, it's a good message, good news. Unfortunately, we in the church don't make it sound like a good news. Don't make it sound like good news. It's all about turn or burn, you know? if you do not turn, if you don't turn from your sin, and all kinds of things. And, but it is the good news. And people must listen to it, and they must be enthused and excited when they hear this and say, What? This is incredible. There is someone who will love me as I am? Are you serious? Really? I don't need to change? I don't need to become a different person before God will accept me, but I can come just as I am and He will accept me. Why should we ever be ashamed of the good news? Because this is not an announcement of what you have to do for God, but rather it is what He has already done for you. Tim Keller This theologian says it like this. He says, the gospel says you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe. I'll say that again. The gospel says you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe. But on the other hand, you are more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope. You are more accepted and loved than you ever dared to hope. Amen. That is the power of the gospel. The gospel says God loves you. He always has, always will. And if you will allow yourselves to accept the love of God through Jesus Christ, I tell you, it will literally change your life. And you will look back at that moment of when things suddenly Became different. And I can talk to many of you in this room today, and I have heard your stories of how that realization and when you made that decision suddenly changed things for you. All of us have stories of when that happened. So we should be out there trumpeting this good news wherever we go and not ashamed of it. Go to the next slide. Paul was not ashamed also because of the power of the gospel power of the gospel says for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes the power of God to salvation the gospel is God's power to save in 1 Thessalonians 1 in verses 5 and 9 it says because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. And then in verse 9, it goes on to say, it says, They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, a transformation that occurred in the Thessalonian church as the power of the gospel became a reality in their lives and they transformed their very way of thinking. Everything that they had practiced until then would change from serving idols to turning to worshiping the true and living God. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore, he is able to save completely those who came to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. I tell you, my brothers and sisters, the gospel is the most powerful force in the universe today, and I'll tell you why. It is the deliverance of a man from the consequences of the fall in the garden and of sin. Deliverance of a man from the consequences of that fall and sin so that man can be saved and set free from the greatest evil, and placed in the possession of the greatest good. The gospel reveals a power that is greater than even that of creation. Someone describes this as even greater than the power of creation because it is the power of a new creation. A new creation. Nothing else in scripture other than Christ Himself is referred to directly as the power of God. Think of that. So when we have this incredible message, the gospel of hope in our hands, it is a message that is packed with power. It is a message that has the power to deliver. It has the message, the message has the power to transform a life, to turn a person's destiny from that of of death to complete life, from hopelessness to hope, from a, lack, from a life filled with lack to a life filled with abundance. That is the power that is available through that message. So let's not ever underestimate the power of the word of the gospel when we share it with people. Jesus' victorious work of taking away our sin forever is what God calls my power. And when that power is set loose in our lives, there is no stopping us. There is no limit to what we are then able to achieve. Why and how can we be ashamed of that gospel? Let's go to the next slide. Paul was not ashamed also because of the purpose of the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. The purpose of the gospel is that it will bring salvation to a select few, to the Jews, no, to every single living being on the earth, everyone on the face of the earth, there is no one who cannot be saved. John 3.16, a verse we know so well, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting, eternal life. There is no one who is beyond the reach of this gospel. You may be, right now, as I say, that you are thinking in your mind of someone, and you're thinking, oh, I reckon that person couldn't be reached by the gospel. I reckon. Person I saw about on TV, the person there is no way, no way God could ever touch that kind of person. And you read about these people who have come into the most horrendous crimes, and you think, ah, no way, no way. But there is way. <laughs> no one is beyond the power and the reach of the gospel. And you know as well as I do the many, many stories of amazing conversions. People who thought, people whom who others had given up on completely. Why? Our very own very own pastor Ben. Through all his struggles with his addictions and everything that he had been through, people would have looked and said, ah, there is no way that guy's ever going to turn to God. Then one day, one day, he met Jesus. Like that I can tell you so many people from my life people I went to medical school with who were steeped in drugs and alcohol and and just completely lost. And yet one day when the love of Jesus touched that person, it transformed his life and he became one of the strongest believers who led our little prayer group in our medical school where we went, went to. We have seen story after story of people like that, where the power of the gospel can and will reach and and touch their lives. So never, never give up. Never give up. If you have been praying for people, continue to pray. Continue to sow those seeds and pray, knowing that the power of that gospel is the very power of God that is at work in their lives, able to reach them where they are, wherever they are, and bring them back to the point of relationship with God. Martin Luther was incredible. He's the one who brought about the Protestant Reformation, but he was a monk, and he did everything in his humanly possible to come close to God. He would fast three to four times a week. He would deliberately in winter not have blankets on him. He would sleep without anything on because he felt if I could beat this body into submission, if I could just suffer some more, maybe I will find favor with God. But whatever he did, what all that he did, he just wouldn't and couldn't find that peace with God. Finally, they, they, someone tells him about this set of stairs in Rome which apparently has the blood of Jesus on them because Jesus had apparently climbed that set of stairs and they say, if you are able to go to those sets of, that set of stairs, climb it on your knees, you will find favor with God. So he does that because he was willing to do anything. His heart was, Lord, anything I can do so that you will accept me, that I may be found justified in your sight, I will do. And so he goes and he begins to climb those stairs on his knees. But as he's climbing, it's amazing how the Spirit of God moves. The Spirit of God reminds him, through stuff he had been reading, Habakkuk, the word that we just read in in, uh, Romans 1, that phrase just came at him and it hit him like a thunderbolt, he says. The righteous will live by faith, not by works, not by anything you do. And when that hit him there, he realized, I can't, I can't on my own, in my humanness, in my flesh, in what I'm trying to achieve and do, I cannot be justified with God. It can only come through faith in Jesus. It can only come through faith. And so he gets off those stairs and he walks out and that was the beginning of where the transformation would occur in Martin Luther's life and it so transformed and gripped him that he would lead the Protestant Reformation I want you to grab the elements. I'm assuming that everyone knows what to do. there's a little plastic on top that gives you the wafer and if you go one layer below you get to open the cup I'm hoping I'm praying that you will go away from this from the church today with a renewed understanding of the incredible gift we have been given the gift of the gospel not just the fact that we have come to know Christ the fact that we have become believers that we are walking in this amazing life and relationship with Jesus but the fact that we have the privilege and the opportunity to be able to offer that to people around us to be able to offer that to people and give them a future and hope God knows we need hope. We need hope. Yeah? And sharing that can change and transform the very future of a person's life. Just go. Talk to them. There is nothing more powerful than sharing your story. And that's where that's a good place to begin. Tell them what happened to you more than just quoting a scripture or telling them the Bible says so and this is what I believe, so you should believe. doesn't quite cut it with a lot of people. But you can tell them what God and Jesus has done in your life and tell them of the transformation that has occurred, what you were like before, what you are like now. Tell them stories of faith in your life. That will move and inspire them more. And then you, are, you have the opportunity to then talk about this amazing person, Jesus, and what he can do for them too. For people who have never made that decision maybe, I want you to consider today this offer of the gospel is free and it's open to anyone, whoever you are, Whatever background you come from, whatever you have studied or not studied, whatever you have done or not done, however deep in sin you may have gone, doesn't matter. That gospel has the power to penetrate anything you have done. It is possible through the blood of Jesus that you will have forgiveness of anything you have done and it can cleanse you clean you completely of every bitterness and pain that maybe still surrounds your heart. Jesus is able to do that. We are going to celebrate. Celebrate what Jesus did for us. That's what we do every time we share in communion. We remember and we celebrate. We are celebrating through this wafer that represents the body of Christ. And when we break that wafer, we are remembering the fact that that body was torn. Can I ask you all to stand, please? The body of Christ torn and broken on the cross for us Go ahead and eat the wafer. And the blood represented by this juice in this cup that Jesus shed on the cross for you and for me. Go ahead and drink. for God so loved that he gave and our response is that we believe and we will receive he loved and so he gave his one and only son We believe and we receive. What do we receive? We receive eternal life. Father in heaven, we give you all glory, honor, and praise because we know there is nothing we have done in our lives that has caused you to accept us or love us. You have loved us unconditionally. Despite who we are, despite who we have been, despite every messy thing in our lives, you have loved us. And with a love that was without measure. That love prompted you to give your greatest love, your greatest treasure, your only son. And we, Father, thank you that because of that amazing act of mercy and grace we can come into your presence today knowing that we are whole that we are forgiven that we are complete and there is nothing lacking in us hallelujah Heavenly Father I want to bless you I want to bless your word I want to bless every single person in this church today. That, Father, as we go, Father, that, Lord, we will go with a renewed sense of understanding of the privilege and honor we have of not only being called sons and daughters of the Most High God, but also the privilege and honor of carrying this incredible gospel that has the power to transform and change lives. Father, we give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.